Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 44 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and in this episode, we are going to do the first part of our two-part series on women and hiking. And uh, you'll notice that uh, it's Jill talking rather than Tim. I've managed to wrestle the microphone away from him. So you get to listen to me um, for this episode. Firstly, I'd like to say a big, big thank you to all of um, our community that have posted on Facebook in response to our question around women and hiking and what are the sorts of considerations that um, are important uh, to women hikers. We've had a huge response and a lot of really good um, input, a lot of really good suggestions. Um, in this episode, I'll talk about some of those things. I've picked up some of them, um, but wasn't able to pick up all of them, wasn't able to um, uh, incorporate all of them. So if you get a chance, please go along and have a look um, at the posts in response to that Facebook question. The other thing I'd like to say is that in uh, doing a session, an episode on women and hiking, uh, I have to confess that originally or initially I didn't think uh, there was going to be too much interest um, and perhaps not a lot to say. Um, I- I'm pleased to say that I was wrong and partly I think what happens is that we tend to just assume that we know stuff. I think we probably downplay what we do know and what we do develop over time in terms of things that will help women um, enjoy hiking more and um, probably the one thing that we do forget to do is share those experiences. So hopefully it's gotten us all thinking a little bit more about the opportunity that we have to pass on some of the things that uh, work for us um, and some of the things that others may be interested in. Now, before we get started talking about women in hiking, you'll recall in our last podcast, we were running a competition with a code word and there was an opportunity to uh, win some uh, gear vouchers. We'll announce the winners um, of that competition at the end of this podcast. So I'm going to talk about a number of different areas and um, uh, there is a, um, a written article that supports this podcast, uh, so you'll be able to go to our website and uh, you'll be able to read that. Uh, if you're interested in reading it in more detail. I've got six areas that that I'll cover, and I'll begin by talking about being safe. Now, there are a bunch of different aspects to this one. Um, Partly it's about perhaps the terrain that we're walking on. Partly it's about the creatures that we encounter. And some of those creatures might be 
uh, people and they might be other kinds of animals um, that uh, may have the potential to cause us harm. When we asked the question, I think predominantly the thing that um, women were concerned about when they are hiking is the impact of other people, Um, and particularly when they were in small groups and particularly um, if they might be hiking solo. So what can you do to keep yourself safe on the trail? Um, Obvious things are be aware of some of the potential pitfalls um, and plan and also have your personal safety uh, equipment uh, in order. Things such as uh, uh, a personal locator beacon, have the ability to send GPS notifications to close friends or family, uh, tell people where you're going, uh, tell people when you're going to be back and make sure that you follow up with them uh, when you do get back. So that's really sort of safety for anybody, uh, males or females, uh, solo hikers or groups of hikers. So that's a reasonably standard thing that you might want to do. We did get an interesting suggestion about a second use for hiking poles. Uh, you can actually use them to keep people away from you. <laughs> um, if you feel in, uh, at any way in, in, uh, in danger, um, Obviously, you'd want to be really careful to make sure that that was the case and that, you know, um, you, you were reacting in an appropriate way. I think one of the most important things you can do is be aware of your surroundings. If you've ever, um, you know, been in your own world on the trail and uh, you've been startled by someone who's um, come up behind you or come up from a slightly different direction... Um, that's an example of perhaps where you haven't been aware um, and you haven't maintained an awareness and an alertness while you're on the trail. Um, I was concerned when we did Lara Pinta Trail uh, last year about my personal safety, um, even though I was hiking with Tim. Um, when I was actually on the trail, I was really pleased how comfortable I felt. And we did see a lot of women um, who were hiking by themselves various distances. And everybody did have, I I guess, a similar concern when they started out. And we found in that environment, uh, it was very much a community sort of environment. You pass people along the way. um, You you know, you got to know people briefly So it was a a very supportive community environment. And I think what also was happening was people were looking out for other people as well. So so in that case, um, almost everybody that we spoke to um, indicated that they might have had a bit of apprehension at the beginning, um, but in that environment, uh, that soon evaporated away. So again... If I come back to the original guidance, which was about being aware of the environment and being aware of what you may or may not encounter along the way and, uh, you know, reinforce how you're feeling with what you're actually experiencing um, on any one day. Um, And I, I think a lot of our concerns are probably a little bit unfounded. 
when I, when I was writing the article and preparing for this podcast, I did think about some of the things that I do in city and urban environments, and I do go for very very long walks um, by myself, and I also uh, jog uh, in my own city and in other cities, uh, usually early in the morning and often when it's quite dark. Um, for some reason, that worries me less than actually being on the trail. And uh, it did make me think about whether or not I needed to recalibrate some of that concern. Um, having done a few uh, longer hikes now, um, I probably should feel much more comfortable on the trail than I do wandering around by myself in the middle of a big city. So the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, I've called it that time of the month. Uh, women will know what that means. Um, and, you know, essentially when you are hiking, um, you do have to assume that you, assuming that you are of uh, that age, uh, that you will get a period um, uh, unless you're incredibly, incredibly regular, um, there is an opportunity and there is a possibility. Okay, so you need to plan for that. Um, and one of the really great suggestions that we did get was um, you might not need anything while you're out on a hike, but somebody else might need some help and might need uh, some sanitary products to get them through uh, the day. So, you know, think think about yourself, but also think about others uh, that you're travelling with or, and others that uh, you may pass along the way. There are lots and lots and lots of options to manage uh, your own period. I mean, you've been doing this since you were a young girl. You've got your own routine. Um, on the trail, it's probably a little bit similar and also a little bit uh, different. Um, for example, if you are using standard sanitary items, commercially available tampons and pads, you need to find a way of disposing of them. Um, if uh, you're on a trail where you can light a fire, you may be able to burn them. Uh, you can burn them discreetly um, at night. But if you're on a trail where you can't light a fire, you actually need to package them up and carry them out. Um, so that raises some questions about how you might do that. Um, ra wrapping them in um, a, a, sh a sheet of um, or a square of toilet paper, uh, putting them in a Ziploc bag within another Ziploc bag uh, works well. If you can get some coloured Ziploc bags, it means that you might be able to disguise them at least a little bit and not make them look so obvious. You could also avoid going hiking uh, if you're expecting to have a period. Um, that's always a reasonable option. Probably not one that I would want to uh, pursue. Um, why would you want to um, hold yourself back? Why would you want to uh, put boundaries around uh, what you can do uh, simply because there's a little bit of inconvenience in having a period when you're on a trail um, and you might just need to plan a little bit more for that eventuality. My suggestion would be not to avoid going hiking. There's really no reason why you would even consider that. Some women who are on the contraceptive pill do use the contraceptive pill adjustment so that they uh, 
change the sequencing of the tablets that uh, they're taking um, to prevent a period occurring, um, you know, for me that's something that you would not ever do without the guidance of your doctor. Um, I think that's starting to get a little bit tricky and perhaps a little bit complicated um, and there are long-term implications uh, that may arise if you do that. Um, having spent a long, long time on the contraceptive pill, uh, that's something I would never contemplate doing um, for all of those reasons, as well as the obvious one, which is, you know, if if you're not doing it well enough, you could end up with a baby that you didn't quite expect. So, you know, unintended consequences <laughs> come in all sorts of um, uh, forms. So one of the other ways you can manage a period when you're on the trail um, that's becoming more common but perhaps still has a long way to go before it's mainstream is the use of a reusable menstrual cup. And as this name implies, um, it's, it's a cup that you insert, that you put in place and uh, it uh, collects um, fluids um, and when it's full, you empty the container, you rinse it, uh, perhaps wipe it out and then um, reinsert. Now, it does require a little bit of skill. Um, those who have um, mastered the skill uh, swear by them. Um, others need to persevere and try them a few times um, before they get it right. With any of these things, anything that's new, my suggestion would be to try it at home, in the comfort of your home, before you go out um, into um, the wilderness uh, to make sure that it's the kind of option that's going to work for you. Another um, option that's gaining a lot of um, support, uh, reusable uh, pad pants, and absorbent menstrual cloths. Now, um, these are a little bit different to the commercially available tabs, uh, tampons and pads in that they're reusable. Um, so what you do is essentially rinse them out when you're on the trail, dry them out and reuse them. Um, I think you need to be mindful of having a couple of different sets so that you um, had some options of uh, something being washed and dried um, while you were wearing uh, a clean set. But again, it's just something to, to think about. Um, we did have some responses where uh, women were saying that this worked really, really well for them. It's also quite an environmentally uh, sound approach, so you're minimising uh, the waste materials that you're going to dispose of at some point in time, uh, whether it's carrying them out or whether it's um, uh, burning them. So it's worth a try. But again, um, these are very, very personal things and they do need to work for you. Um, think about them. Think about how you might uh, make them work. Think about what appeals and uh, pursue one or two of those options. Now, of course, for those who have lived through um, menopause, there's one great benefit that uh, 
people don't ever tell you and don't ever talk about, and that's the fact that you don't get periods. So, you know, um, sometimes we get a little bit overwhelmed about the prospect of, uh, you know, going out the other end of menopause, but uh, having lived a long time, I'm convinced there's an upside to everything, <laughs> and certainly I'm enjoying the upside of that one. Now, the next item I'm going to talk about is uh, clothing and uh, lots and lots of clothing, but there's not really anything to wear. And this, again, was another aspect uh, that that uh, we got lots of feedback about. Um, and uh, for me, I don't know why, but, you know, manufacturers of clothing for women, manufacturers of outdoor clothing for women really don't have a sense of how different we all are um, and uh, what our particular needs uh, might be. Um, and it wasn't just the, you know, the tailoring to the fashion uh, stick-thin uh, figure. It was also about, you know, different heights, um, you know, different uh, torso lengths, different leg lengths and, and so on. Um, and again, uh, my own personal experience is uh, clothing designed for women uh, to go hiking in, to go bushwalking in, to be on the out- in the outdoors wearing um, really, um, I don't know who it fits, but it probably doesn't fit me and from the feedback that we've had, it doesn't fit many women particularly well. So there is a lot of trial and error. There is a lot of experiment that you need to do. Um, my particular issue is that um, I uh, do a bit of weight training and so my arms and my legs are perhaps a, a little bit more uh, well-developed. I won't say muscular, but I will say well-developed. Um than the norm, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. Um, so I find that uh, uh, hiking pants are a little bit tight around the thighs. Um, they're way too big around the waist. Um, and I've, I've even had experiences where uh, some are a little bit firm uh, around the calves if uh, they are capri-type pants. So, you know, um, I think... The only thing I can say about that is try things out, um, try all sorts of different brands on, um, and if things don't fit you, don't feel uh, that it's you. <laughs> um, I'm quite happy to blame the manufacturers and the designers of the outdoor gear. Something that is gaining uh, a lot of support is the wearing of skirts and dresses for female hikers. Um, uh, we'll talk a, a, in a minute about uh, going to the toilet on the trail, and certainly there are some advantages um, if you are wearing a, a skirt. Um, again, absolutely personal preference, uh, not something that appeals to me. Um, I tend to wear uh, trousers uh, uh, in particularly in my uh leisure hours. So that's sort of the norm for me. Um, but if a skirt is something that's going to suit you, then absolutely give it a go. Um, and you'll find lots of options available. You don't have to buy special hiking clothing. Um, your clothing does need to fit 
it does need to give you some opportunity to um, stretch and uh, you know move in a way that's comfortable so you don't end up with your gear rubbing on you, but you don't have to invest in hiking gear. The only thing I would say is that hiking gear tends to be a little bit more durable, um, but as long as you don't mind your your normal clothing, if you're going to wear your normal clothing, um, if you don't mind your normal clothing getting uh, dirty um, or you know grazed or scratched or cut, then um, wearing whatever you've got at home that fits you well is fine. Um, and to that end, uh, I do see women increasingly wearing things like uh, active gear, leggings and, and so on. Um, for me, they're probably a little bit thin um, and I've been on the lookout for something that's slightly thicker but not too hot. Um, but if I could find a pair of uh, um, active gear tights, then uh, I would certainly wear them on the trail and and give up those uh, pants that are a little bit firm around the thighs. I would caution you wearing jeans. Um, you know, sometimes I do see people on the trail wearing jeans. Uh, jeans are the sorts of things that it's an, it's an odd, uh, all cotton, uh, perhaps with a bit of stretch, but um, it's, it's an odd type of fabric, uh, really. Um, if the weather's really, really cold, a pair of jeans will make you colder. If the weather's really, really hot, a pair of jeans can make you hotter. Um, so as odd as that sounds, that sort of the experiences certainly that I and, and uh, many others have. And the other thing is that if uh, jeans get wet, either uh, from sweating or from rain, um, they will take a long time to dry. And in the process of that, uh, they get quite heavy. And also you can experience quite a bit of chafing um, if they do get damp. So the only thing I would caution people wearing males or females on the trail uh, would be jeans. Otherwise, anything else is fair game. So the next thing I want to talk about is when you've got to go. And, uh, you know, we're getting really, really personal now, but, you know... <laughs> If we didn't get personal through the menstrual cycle, we're definitely personal at this point. So peeing and pooing, number ones and number twos, on uh, a, a hike um, doesn't have to be problematic. Um, you know, weeing does take a little bit more planning than it does for a bloke uh, if you are a woman. Um but you shouldn't turn it into something that is, um, you know, a bit of a stage performance. Um, it's just, you know, I guess getting into a routine where you can do it reasonably quickly in a reasonably discreet uh, manner. Um, I, I think in Australia we might be a little bit more fortunate and a little bit more uh, lucky than perhaps in other places. Um, there are moments when you don't see people on the trail, so they're the moments to go for. Um, though though we did have a little bit of a laugh um, around uh, one of the comments that was posted on Facebook um, in that there's almost a guarantee as soon as you decide that you need to go to the toilet, a whole bunch of people will, will turn up out of nowhere, um, either 
surprising you or preventing you um, from doing what you need to do. So the obvious way to uh, go to the toilet um, on the trail if you're wearing, particularly if you're wearing pants, is to find a slightly uh, isolated spot um, uh, away from the group if you're uh, travelling with a group and just drop your pants <laughs> um, and uh, do what you need to go, do what you need to do. There's a little bit of skill too. You need to make sure that the urine is going to run away from you, not run onto your boots. Um, you need to squat in a way that means that uh, perhaps you need a slightly wider stance uh, than uh, normally if you were going to just, uh, you know, uh, be squatting to have a conversation uh, to keep your feet and keep your boots out of the way. Um, it's not that difficult, though some people are not uh, comfortable with squatting in, in that kind of sense. Um, I generally wear a pant liner um, so that uh, I just take a moment to wait for the drips to stop um, and then uh, pull the underpants, pull the, the trousers back up and uh, off I go. Um, I guess when you think about it, and, you know, I've been um, squatting behind bushes for a long time, <laughs> It really is hard to think about um, what's particular, particularly difficult or peculiar about that. Um, but again, if you're not used to it, um, uh, if you're in uh, places where it's hard to find, uh, you know, a slightly isolated spot, uh, I think um, the main thing though is if you are with a group, everybody's in the same situation. So, you know, you shouldn't feel that... Um, you know, it's something special to you. Another option that's available are female urination devices. And uh, these come in a range of different shapes uh, from a straw arrangement through to a funnel. Um, and they are also in reusable as well as uh, disposable options. And essentially what it what they do is enable you to urinate while you're standing up. So um, if you're not wanting to drop your pants um, and squat, uh, there's a more discreet option and uh, they also work well if you're wearing a skirt. Um, there are quite a number available on the market, so y you, know, you do want to think about the sorts of... Um, benefits that might suit you. We will put a link um, to a review uh, that was done by uh, Backpacker and uh, you can see for yourself uh, both the range and the testing that was done. It does take quite a little bit of skill um, and a bit of trial and error uh, to make sure that you point the device and urinate in the direction that you're wanting to. If you think about it in terms of uh, the skill that a small boy needs to develop when uh, urinating into a toilet bowl, um, and probably a few men I would imagine as well, um, 
then it does take a bit of practice. So it's possibly not something that you're going to get, um, you know, perfectly good at straight up, but it may be something worth considering, particularly, as I say, uh, if you want something a little bit more discreet and don't want to expose yourself on the trail. So also remember to um, pee 50 metres away from a water source. Uh, that's a pretty long um, a long walk in the middle of the night. Um, and another option that's available to you during the night is to use a container or to uh, pee in a Ziploc bag. Um, this is something that I probably don't do um, and maybe I would if I was solo hiking uh, but by the time uh, Tim and I get our gear into the tent and Tim gets into the tent there isn't a lot of room for anything else to happen so um, I'm just not sure that I would want to take the risk with that one while I was sharing a tent with someone else. So uh, then we move on to uh, the need to poo and uh, doing a number two in the bush is uh, pretty much the same as squatting for a pee, but you do need to plan a little bit ahead um, because you will need to have some toilet paper, you will need to have uh, something to dig a hole in and you'll need to have sufficient time to dig your little hole <laughs> before you need to go. Um, so that's... Uh, something to think about. Um, you know, usually we've got a regular cycle of when we need to do these things. So think about when your regular cycle is and uh, when you're getting close to that regular cycle. Your hole needs to be about 15 centimetres deep and again, away from uh, water sources. So, you know, if you're hiking in very uh, dry conditions and you're needing to dig a a whole 15 centimetres deep, you might need a bit of extra time uh, to do that. Um, so the thinking ahead is quite important. Usually I uh, refill the hole, um, make sure all the toilet paper is buried and I put something on top of the ground, uh, make, make sure it's patted down flat um, and something like twigs or something like small rocks um, because you don't want somebody discovering your biohazard. Um, you need to make sure that you, you have clean hands and I'll talk about um, uh, cleaning hands uh, in a moment. So the next thing I want to talk about is staying fresh while you're hiking. And this is not just for women. Um, I think this is for everybody. Uh, it's okay to do an overnight hike and decide that, uh, you know, you're not going to wash your face and uh, you might uh, skip the toothbrush and so on. Um, after two weeks of that, it's a bit ordinary. Um, and while everybody might be uh, smelling the same, uh, People will start to smell you um, if you're not being vigilant with your staying clean. So first thing is cleaning up. There's nothing like uh, splashing your face with some uh, water in the morning or at the end of the day um, to 
uh, get all the grime off and to, you know, get an instant uh, feel good. Even at times when the water is not uh, plentiful, there are ways that you can actually do that. And uh, um, uh, Amanda, who is on, uh, who is one of our interviewees for our next uh, podcast, uh, where we've interviewed some women hikers, has given us this um, great hack that uh, she uses, which is about taking a Chuck's uh, kitchen cloth, um, cutting it up into different sized squares and using uh, some for her face and uh, using other other size pieces for her private parts. Great thing about this is that they're reusable. Uh, they don't take a lot of water to um, moisten um, and they're very easily rinsed out and easily dried. So I think that's a great option. I haven't used that one, but certainly I'll be using that one in the future. Um, and also don't forget the hand sanitizer. A uh, hand sanitizer isn't just for your hands. You can, uh, if you need a little bit of extra help in uh, freshening up those um, armpits, you can use the hand sanitizer on a moistened uh, cloth. Um, not too much. Uh, you don't want to sort of create any uh, rash or any uh, burning, but just a little bit and that'll give you a bit of an extra freshen up as well. I've tended to use disinfecting wipes uh, in the past. I have l liked them. They tend to be a little bit heavy. Uh, you're, if you can imagine, you're carrying a packet that's sufficient for what you might need over the, the period that you're hiking and it might be a week, it might be two weeks. So you're carrying a bunch of essentially moistened cloths and you might need, it. I'd suggest, at least two a day, if not uh, three or four a day. That can get quite heavy, um, okay? And then when you're finished, you're still carrying them, albeit they're probably drier and lighter, but you're still carrying them at the end of your um, hiking uh, adventure. You also have to be a little bit careful on the type of wipes uh, that you get. You can get them from, you know, baby wipes all the way through to face wipes um, and uh, disinfecting wipes, surface wipes and so on that are safe for hands. Um, you might just need to test some of those out to make sure um, that they're not too harsh uh, for your uh, own skin. Um, I tend to use uh, face wipes. Uh, instead of baby wipes and certainly uh, not uh, hand wipes um, because I think, and maybe they're all made from the same things and they've got the same uh, active ingredients in them. I probably haven't checked that too closely, um, but I think and I feel the face wipes are a little bit softer um, on my skin. As I said, the only problem about the... Um, Disinfecting wipes, the face wipes, is that uh, you end up with a pack of cloth, cloths that you use. You need to put in a Ziploc bag. Um, you need to carry out uh, from your bushwalk um, and you've got more rubbish. So, again, uh, I think the chucks cut into squares are looking pretty good to me at the moment.
Um, I would also say that along the way, sometimes we come across creeks and streams and lakes and uh, maybe a riverbed with water in it or two. Um, If you've got an option to uh, jump in, even for a short period of time, uh, to take your boots off and your socks off and to uh, soak your feet a bit, um, to, you know, wash your hands, to uh, splash your face, then absolutely take up that option. Um, it's just amazing how fantastic uh, you can feel um, on a, you know, dusty trail, on a hot trail, on a long trail um, after you've splashed a bit of water around. So certainly take that opportunity as well. So next uh, next thing to think about is the breathing easy. I mentioned the toothbrush. Um, if it's an overnight uh, camp that you're going on, you might not worry about your toothbrush, but you know after a week and definitely after two weeks, um, you know, for the benefit of yourself as well as others, um, Take a toothbrush, take a bit of uh, toothpaste and use it. I mean, for all of these things, you need to make sure that you're careful about uh, where you spit them out and not to contaminate uh, water sources and so on. Um, But you'll feel so much better if you do um, as much as you possibly can maintain your hygiene routine um, while you're out bushwalking. Uh, one of the things I like to do when um, I'm out on a hike um, over multiple days is to take some moisturiser with me. It's one of my little luxuries. Um, you might have another luxury that you want to take. Um, but, you know, my face does get a little bit dry and it's nice to be able to soak up a bit of moisturiser. Um, you know, there's... there's uh, there's no need to go absolutely hardcore if you don't want to go hardcore. So if moisturiser or something else becomes a little luxury for you, um, you're the one that's carrying it, so I say go for it. Uh, some uh, block-out lotions, sunblock lotions, uh, do have uh, a degree of moisturising um, effect Um For me, it's not quite the same. Uh, Certainly sensitive skin can react to some of the ingredients. And once you've been applying uh, sunscreen over multiple days, um, uh, I just feel, if I'm using that as a moisturiser, I just feel as if um, I'm a bit greasy and if it's a dusty trail, then I'm just greasy and even more grimy. So that's not something that... uh, um, I enjoy feeling. So body odour, lessening the the aroma. I don't usually carry a deodorant um, on the trail, um, but, you know, washing off um, sweat is important. Again, you could use the the Chucks uh, wipes. Um, if, If you're not washing off the sweat, you're transferring more of the sweat onto your clothes as well. So then your clothes start to smell um, a, a little bit as as the days go on. 
I generally wear underwear that is designed for hiking, uh, doesn't tend to absorb the smell as much. Um, and so, you know, again, that's something that I've worked out. Um, and things like the, the racerback, uh, bra and uh, the boy leg pants from Icebreaker, um, perform really, really well. Um, and, uh, usually I have, uh, a bra on and a pair of pants on and I have a set spare. Um, they look quite good. So you could also use them as swimmers. So if you, um, do find that creek bed along the way, uh, and you can strip down and jump in the water, um, you don't look so obviously as if you're wearing your underwear. Now, last thing I want to talk about in this um, area is cleaning your hands. Really, 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 really important. You do need um, some way of uh, making sure you've got some confidence that your, your hands are clean Hand sanitizer is really, really, really popular, really easy and uh, very convenient. Um, I always carry hand sanitizer um, and I use it during the day, um, particularly, you know, um, uh, you know, if, if, if I have gone off and, and had a wee, um, even if I don't touch anything, um, uh, before I'm eating something and so on. But there's nothing like a little bit of soap and water to really clean your hands well. And I'd encourage you to find uh, some options that are convenient and uh, helpful to you um, as a way of really washing your hands. Um, it's a really interesting one. Uh, there's some studies that suggest that it's not just uh, the soap that helps clean your hands. It's the vigorous rubbing. And uh, we know that when we're using hand sanitizer, we don't get as much vigorous rubbing. By the time we've rubbed a few times, um, the the sanitizer, which is supposed to do, is evaporated away. Whether it's the foam ones or whether it's the um, uh, the liquid ones, so nothing like soap and water. Um, try and get into the habit of uh, doing it uh, in the morning be before meals and again at the end of the day. Um, and really important to making, if you're on a long hike, to making sure that everybody um, in your group uh, stays healthy. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, starting somewhere. This is probably not an area that you would normally think about um, when talking about women in hiking. But again, through the feedback that we've had, it has come up as something that is a consideration and something that uh, uh, women do think about. Um, you know, you need to move from wanting to hike to actually hiking. Um, and sometimes there are all sorts of things that are in a way and some of those things might be that uh, we don't have a hiking buddy. Some of those things might be that, uh, you know, we've got all sorts of things that we're wanting to do um, and others are expecting to do in our home life, in our family life and so on. But the point is that if you don't find a way, then uh, no one else will find a way for you. So put yourself first um, 
in this case, it's okay. I know we don't often do that. Um, but if you want to be a bushwalker, then you need to be out bushwalking. Um, you don't have to be solo hiking. You don't have to um, do, you know, really strenuous things. But if you are starting out, work out the things that interest you and uh, establish yourself a goal and work towards that goal. Uh, if you don't have a, a hiking buddy, uh, if you can't uh, do some trading, bartering within your family to convince people to uh, come with you on the basis that you pay them back with something else, some other activity, um, then you can also seek out uh, bushwalking clubs or meetup groups um, that will enable you to connect with like-minded people. Um, so there are lots of options. Uh, don't let anything get in your way and don't assume that you can't do this. Sometimes when you have children, we we think that oh, they won't be able to make the distance. Um, previously, when we did our podcast on hiking with children, we found all sorts of examples that were pe people were providing about how they would um, take even small children uh, hiking with them, um, who were covering distances that, you know, I probably would have been, you know, uh, reluctant to make them walk. But uh, we did have one example of someone saying that they took a four-year-old on a four-kilometre hike. It's probably a little bit ambitious to start with, but you can do it, okay? So if you've got um, older children they can hike longer distances and they can carry gear. Um, if you've got smaller children, um, you know, they, they should be able to do at least um, three kilometres. If you've got babies, uh, you can carry them in some really great baby gear that's uh, around at the moment. The only group that would be a little bit challenging would be that age where they're just a little bit too big and heavy to carry and not yet big enough um, to walk some distance on their own. So, you know, there is a little bit of an in-between group between uh, the babies and the small children, um, but that doesn't mean that you can't take them out for short hikes with a view to getting them to work up to longer distances. So the main thing is um, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, um, whatever circumstances you have, um, there's an opportunity for you to be out there hiking. You just have to work out uh, what you need to juggle and what you need to accommodate along the way. So that's the main areas I wanted to talk about in terms of women and hiking. And, you know, um, when I started this uh, podcast and preparing for this podcast, I really thought, oh, gee, I'm not quite sure that there's enough to talk about here. Mostly um, it's about the gathering up of experiences, um, being aware to the possibilities and working out what's going to work for you. These are very, very, very personal things that we've talked about. Um, what works for someone else may not uh, work in any way for you. And the only way you'll know that is if you experiment. Um, 
whatever you settle on, whether it's in terms of, uh, you know, managing a period while you're hiking, whether it's keeping clean, uh, whether it's uh, doing number ones and number twos um, out on a track, um, whatever you do, it needs to be right for you and it needs to work for you. So here's where you, you have the opportunity to tailor, where you have the opportunity to, um, you know, explore. And if you discover something that uh, perhaps you haven't heard about that, uh, you know, works really well, I'd really encourage you to share. I think we've done some great sharing through our community on Facebook uh, around some of these topics, and I'd really encourage everybody to continue that sharing theme. So thank you for listening to our Women in Hiking um, podcast. Um, there was a lot to get through, and uh, uh, as I said uh, at the beginning, this podcast is supported by a written article which will... Um, have information for you to um, absorb and to ponder. Um, our next podcast, which is going to be released um, at the same time as this current one, is interviews with uh, experienced uh, women hikers. And uh, we have uh, two interviews that, that we've done that you will, uh, I'm sure, enjoy uh, with Caitlin, who's a young, experienced hiker, and Amanda, who's an older hiker, um, who has uh, some quite interesting uh, twists on the hiking that she's been doing. So really interesting podcasts, and I'm sure that you will enjoy them. Um, we'll also announce our next competition uh, at the start of that uh, podcast, second podcast on women in hiking. So make sure that you um, listen uh, for other options to win some vouchers. Now, um, the current competition that we're running, I said I would uh, announce the winners of those vouchers at the end of this podcast, and the two winners are Marianne of Launceston and Carly of Melbourne. So congratulations to you both. Uh, we'll be in touch shortly with um, information on uh, how you'll receive your gift vouchers and uh, thank you and thank everybody for putting in some uh, entries, listening out for the code word and and uh, responding to our call. As always, uh, you can listen to our podcast um, on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, as well as on our website. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, please go through and rate us uh, to help us get the word out. Uh, again, this is a slightly longer podcast than we normally do, but I think it's been uh, worthwhile in terms of uh, the amount of information we needed to cover. So thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.